Hello and welcome to another special episode of the Two Black Tenority Podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm your host, Chris. And this is um, a special episode. We're talking about the Democratic Party. It is um, the state of the Democratic Party, uh, Redux. Um, I think the last one we did was like... April? Last, yeah, April. it was after the primary, Democratic primary, it wrapped up. So before COVID. No, it was when COVID first started, I think. Right? Yeah, it was a month into COVID. A month into COVID. Yeah, yeah. So And now we're almost a year into COVID. So we wanted to Look do <laughs> So we want to do another episode. Uh we have uh Terrell back, a frequent guest of the show, and um everyone else was busy. So <laughs> Yeah. We're gonna make it sound like, like how I have are no you guys life. gonna be this busy in a pan's labyrinth? I mean, you know, what else are we gonna do? <laughs> And it's Saturday, you know, like, what are you guys going to, you know, go out with your friends? We can't do that. I mean, yeah. y'all can in Michigan, Idaho. I can do whatever I want at this point in time. I'm not going to comment on that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, a, a lot has happened since April. A lot has happened since November. Yeah. All right. So um, just so this podcast is in five hours. Let's start with election night in twenty election night twenty twenty, and then you mean move, election week. Election, yeah, election week, and then move into uh, now. So um, election night, we did not know who the president was going to be. It looked like Trump was up because a lot of the mail in vote, a lot of the mail in votes still had to be counted. Uh, liberals were no were nervous. Uh, socialists were nervous. Everybody was nervous. And then, over a few days, uh, trickled in. Uh, states started flipping to Biden. What What were the biggest states that flipped? Um, that I remember, Michigan was one, right? Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Arizona. Yeah, yeah. I think were my highlights. And I think what the only reason why Michigan and Pennsylvania were big is because Trump flipped them. And those were generally a blue wall. Um, and Michigan specifically, when you looked at the numbers of the vote count, if it was not for Wayne County, Michigan would have gone Trump handedly. Mm-hmm. And that's just one thing I can never get over from our lovely little home state of all the other counties, either voting turnout was still low or they carried towards Trump. But Wayne County single-handedly flipped the state of Michigan blue, and it just shout out to Wayne County. <laughs> Mo- See, I, most I would, of my family lives I would like to there. point out on election night, uh, Terrell had me as his Michigan correspondent on on his podcast, and what I said came true. Dearborn and Detroit showed out, and that's what yep. was going to flip Michigan. And you were right. I will give you that. I usually am. People still don't listen to me though. Oh, whatever. But I'm very disappointed in Kent County, my alma mater's out there, and they did not show up or show <laughs> out or do anything for that matter. I don't know why you're disappointed. They behaved exactly as we all expected <laughs> them to, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, no. Boss country out I there. mean, didn't Trump get more votes than any Republican ever? Technically? Yes. I mean, yeah, technically. Yeah. He got the second most votes of any person running for president ever and still lost still lost so it was it was a high turnout election oh we forgot about uh was it nevada that took forever mm-hmm. yeah nevada <laughs> by the time nevada, nevada was over there in, gambling. it was already over <laughs> it's like here biden here's your six points 
have fun. They were over there gambling on it. They're like, all right, we're going to bet each vote which way is it going to go. Dang, I put 200 down on Trump and it turned out to be Biden. And it just, they were a mess. Like double but... or nothing, double or nothing. <laughs> so, I mean, by the end of the week, I mean, Biden had essentially won. Trump uh, did not concede and he pretty much would not concede until what? After? He still hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of did after the insurrection, which we'll get to. Um, that weekend, uh, there was like partying in the streets in New York. People are happy. Um, then. I played Hamilton a lot. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing was the other thing that had happened is that uh, Democrats lost a lot of seats in the House. And it was interesting. A lot of moderate Democrats actually ended up losing their seats in the house so they were very um so i mean they were very upset the senate um we didn't know what was going to happen with it um a lot of the seats that i thought that i think people hoped the democrats would flip did not flip except for i think mark kelly um and then like some like gary peters in michigan hung on stuff like that but barely so they need to investigate lindsey graham's race though because i still to this day will not understand how he won as handedly as he did. It just it defeats all logic that Lindsey Graham beat Jamie Harris as roundedly as he did. Yeah. Yeah, because wasn't it about like uh, two thirds, one third split? Yep. Even yeah. though all polling going into that night had um, Harrison up by at least five points. Like, I just, that's one race that I will throw some. How do we get here on? But whatever. It's already happened. <laughs> Yeah, it just. But I mean, makes the whole fraudulent election thing, like just be like only the presidential election, only that one. I was yeah, gonna not, not like taking total control of the Senate, not relying on runoffs, but like okay, we'll we'll get there, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there in a second. But the too long didn't read of election night was that Biden beat Trump. Biden, like, he didn't blow Trump out, but he handedly beat Trump. Like, it was not close. Yes. And then Democrats underperformed down ballot from what they were expecting. 100%. So that's, because uh, the other thing that happened is you had Republicans that would not vote for Trump or would not vote for mm-hmm. Trump again that voted for Biden and then went Republican down ticket. Which yep. I which I understand, but also at the same time, if you are a Republican and the person that you're voting for that's a Republican is openly campaigning for Trump, then exactly. I don't see how you still go down ballot. Well, that's now, my well, that's part of my critique of I think of just uh, the national democratic strategy is that I think they may have played too hard into okay, Trump is an aberration, Trump isn't a real Republican, Trump is the root of all our problems, and he just needs to go. As opposed to tying mm-hmm. a lot of the down ballot Republican opponents to like, hey, if you hate Trump, I'm running against a mini Donald Trump. You know, you could. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, Gary Peters did a little bit of that. I think with John James. Um, but I definitely think there could have been more of that probably nationally connect, collect, connecting a lot of um, the down ballot Republicans to Trump. Because, I mean, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter that they don't tweet as much as he does. Most of them voted with him, however, you know, whatever percent of the time anyway. So, but I mean, Susan Collins is a great example. They're another person who won reelection who appeased Trump through his entire presidency voted against impeaching him or convicting him the first time because she thought he learned his lesson and 
again, you saw polling tell you that it was going to be a close race, and she was clear the clear winner, what, before midnight? Um, so I, I agree with you, Chris, that there, there can be a moment in the Democratic autopsy report of how did our message go so wrong that one of the most vulnerable senators won their reelection without any harm or any any concern. Well, mm-hmm. that's because the Democrats suck at messaging. <laughs> no, hundred <laughs> percent. They suck at it. Oh my god! No, we're. I'm. Because... I just wait. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go after them. But we'll. 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 We'll get through the fun stuff first. So. So continuing with election week, there were two standout things, and if my oldest brother is listening to this, I have to say I told you so. Because both Georgia Senate seats went to a runoff election. Yeah. One of them always was going to, yep. um, just because of how it was going to break out Kelly Loeffler and uh, Reverend, or Senator Reverend Warnock. Um, Way to give the and, plot away. <laughs> yeah, well, if they don't already know, spoilers, <laughs> I guess. Um, but, uh, and then you had David Perdue and John Ossoff. And that went to a runoff election because there was a third candidate who got enough of the votes to make sure that David Perdue was not going to get 50%. Shout out to him. True American hero. (laughs) 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 So then election season isn't over until January, but we'll get there. Yeah. So essentially what you had after that period was, you know, Joe Biden, Kamala, they did their... They did their acceptance speech. Um, I think that Saturday. They did it, Chris. They, yep, we Saturday. did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> we did it. People were partying in the streets. It was a great time to text their crush. Uh, everybody was in a happy mood. Then we got into like the republic. Then we got into Trump <laughs> um, challenging every ch- Trump and his lawsuits everywhere, trying to. Um, Challenge election results, flip election results, throw out election results, all of this craziness to the point where I don't wait, wait, Chris, you're the uh, you're the law person. I don't. How many lawsuits did Trump have? Was it over sixty? Uh, so. You know what? I my last count was like around around forty. Um, uh, I think it was like sixty three, sixty four at the end. They won one. Eighty six. I know they won one. Oh, there was eighty six. Never mind. He filed and lost eighty six elections. Yeah, so that so that was going on, and we had, as Chris mentioned, we had the runoff in Georgia, um, kind of g- uh, going on at the same time uh, throughout the holidays, um, for the most part. You did leave off one part. You what I missed. forgot to insert. You forgot to insert. QAnon came after. Well, it was happening the whole time, but it became a bigger thing after the election and we started the whole stop the vote nonsense from the conservative base in any state that had a decent turnout of african-american voters so you had people literally standing outside of tcf Bank yeah they were yeah, whatever they were it in is Michigan. yeah i told I, it's been so long i'm like oh yeah there's been them. a lot a lot yeah happened. <laughs> so what was crazy is i knew someone that was uh counting votes in uh tcf which is formerly known as cobo hall uh in in detroit so you're from michigan and so you, detroit, you we, know. we yeah we we saw on twitter uh you know you would see people banging on the windows and but she was like posting on her instagram and i'm just like 
these white people really out here wilding. <laughs> it, 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 it was really only like you just it look at the video. People. It's only white Trump supporters banging on like, stop the count. Stop. And it's just like when it's they tried to take, when they tried to take down Channel 7 because the camera guy was putting his camera in the truck and they said that he was stuffing illegal ballots into it. That's what I knew for a fact. And like it. Michigan is a lost cause for a little bit. We're they just gonna let them figure they, they stuff out. That was, really it was, no, that was that was hilarious because I mean I do keep I follow like the local news on um on social media and they literally had to come out and be like this is like an equipment cart. There are no votes in this cart. Like sorry, so bad. Anyway, back to uh you know it's like anyway back to the weather. Like it was just it was that was. Not a, not a, I mean Michigan throughout 2020 had been in the spotlight because um, mm-hmm. we had like the huge lockdown protests because our governor our governor really locked shit down during COVID and people shout out to Big Gretch shout out to Big Gretch people wanted to go uh, get ice cream so they were really upset um, and they also tried to kidnap the governor this year yeah. So uh, yeah. not a not 2020, not not Michigan's greatest year, but you know we're in a new year now, so we'll see what happens. New year, new me. If there's no kidnap, if there's no kidnapping, I think we're we're up in 2021 <laughs> at least. We yeah, really lowered yeah. the bar. Trump had beef with that woman from Michigan. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean Trump would he Trump definitely had a habit of not tar he loved to target women that he did not like Democratic women. And it definitely put targets on their backs, which we're going to get to uh, later on in various, there's various examples. But um, yeah, you have to stop the vote protests and then um, you had Trump's a million lawsuits. So it felt like even though Biden had won, I don't know how you guys felt, but it felt like election season wasn't over until uh, mm-hmm. Georgia, until the runoffs happened. Yeah. You know, I mean, social media was all about each day. We're like, and Joe Biden won the election for the 70th time. Congratulations, <laughs> Joe. We did it. Like, okay. I, mean, I was texting my oldest brother. I was like, I hope you're ready for everybody to start coming down to Georgia. He's like, they're already here. Which, <laughs> if y'all have ever been to Atlanta, y'all know Atlanta traffic is no joke. I mean, oh, even yeah. in even in a Panera Bread, like it's still no joke. So then everybody coming down there for the election. Mm. No, if you're if you work in Atlanta, you're picking up dinner on the way home. You would always get your dinner first and eat it in the car during when you're uh during yeah. gridlock. <laughs> yep. Don't try don't try to eat at home. You'll get home at like eight. Stuff will be cold and hard. And like, well, this was a waste of my time. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, oh, yeah, Georgia. So, so we had a whole really month and a half of mm-hmm. the Georgia Senate elections and the runoffs and everything like that. Um, shout out to Stacey Abrams, who hopefully will be Nobel Peace Prize recipient, Stacey Abrams, for her work in taking the loss that she had in 2018 and mm-hmm. galvanizing uh, voter registration and voter turnout in Georgia among black people. Yeah, there was there. I know there were so many organizers in Georgia and so many people on the ground like just getting that turnout as high as they possibly could. I think um, the new Georgia project is one of them. Um, yeah, I mean, Georgia, I mean, Georgia came out in the runoffs. I mean, they, I mean, they worked, you know, so props to Georgia. Um, 
So, I mean, we can... Do you want to fast forward to uh, the Georgia runoff? Yeah, so... Yeah. For, for the Georgia runoff, we now have... We have a still a Democratic-controlled House, although it's just a smaller majority. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the Democrats controlling the White House, so now it's going to come down to, okay, is uh, the Senate turtle leader Mitch McConnell going to stay the majority leader or is he going to become the Senate minority leader? Man, that just sounds good. Um, and so it really that would really hamper whether uh, the Biden-Harris administration would be able to uh, follow through on the promises that they made on the campaign. And so we get to January 3rd? 6th? No, no, 5th. No, no, 5th. No. Yes, 5th. January 5th. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that night, um, it was looking like Warnock was going to pull it off. They, I think they oh, called yeah. I think they called Warnock before bed, before mm-hmm. I went to bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ossoff, yeah, they called him that night. Ossoff, it looked good, but um, they hadn't conf- it wasn't confirmed yet. Like, they were still counting votes. Um, so, I mean, the morning of January 6th, uh, Democrats are feeling pretty good. Uh, Warnock had won. It looked like Ossoff was going to pull it off. Looked like it was going to be a good day in America. The Democrats were going to have dun, the pre- they were going to have the presidency, um, both chambers, not Supreme Court, but you know we don't want to talk about that. That's uh, <laughs> a whole another argument. That's for a another whole day. a whole another thing. Um, but then January sixth happened. All right, who well, wants well, to? Well, before so the importance of January sixth, if you don't already know, that's the day that the well the new Congress gets. Um, gets sworn in on January 3rd. So mm-hmm. their job on January 6th is to certify the election results. And so, um, yeah, so Pence, as the form, as the vice president, he has to oversee it because, you know, he's the president of the... I totally the forgot system. about... Yeah, you can go. Yeah, Chris, just tell the whole story. <laughs> I, to- I totally forgot about Mike Pence's role in all of this. So there was a... Um, there was this QAnon theory and Trump theory and Trump argument that Pence had the legal power under the Constitution to overturn the results and not certify them, which is blatantly false. Uh, as long as the votes have been certified by those states and they have been delivered and there has not been any tampering, mm-hmm. he has to um, read it. Now, if there are objections to the results... Congressmen and women, Congress people can raise those objections. They have to have a written, um, they have to have a written portion, and they have to have uh, a senator to co-sign with the House of Representatives member. Mm-hmm. So we're getting into it. That starts um, early in the morning. Um, so let's talk about that morning. So eight seventeen in the morning, President Trump tweets allegations of voter fraud. Again, for like the, the thousandth time, uh, he held a rally uh, at noon. So mm-hmm. before this, thousands of his supporters gather at the uh, the ellipse in Washington D.C. At noon, Trump starts speaking. He speaks for an hour, repeats his allegations of voter fraud, criticizes uh, Pence for not um, and other Republicans for not backing him up and for allowing this sham of a process to continue. 
Then about a half hour later, crowds of his supporters start to gather outside the Capitol building. 20 minutes later, there are reports of bomb, uh, pipe bombs at the RNC and the DNC. Uh, four minutes later, rioters start to push and break down the fencing around the U.S. Capitol. And um, hmm, where, where do we go from here? Because this is where everything starts going nuts. So pretty much, um, yeah. I'm watching this live. I'm watching this on C-SPAN. I was and watching well. on the clock. Sorry. Sorry <laughs> to my job. I was definitely watching on the clock. I apologize. I still... Oh, okay. it. I, mean, I, who, I made up who, for the work later that week, but I it was hard to get work done that day. I apologize. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, we're watching. So, uh, Pence is starting to, um, at around 1 o'clock, they start their joint session to start uh, validating those votes and going mm-hmm. through the whole process. Um, a few minutes into it, Ted Cruz and uh, one of the congressmen from Arizona starts to object to votes in Arizona. And then, uh, then things start to escalate. Buildings around the Capitol start getting evacuated. Um, the mm-hmm. Capitol police are starting to get overwhelmed, so they're retreating up the steps of the Capitol. Uh, Trump ends his speech, and he says, we're going to try and give the Republicans the kind of pride and boldness that they need to take back our country. And, um, you know, people started praising turtle mcconnell because he said that if we refuse to certify these results it's going to send democracy in a death spiral like we're not already there and you know people were praising him on twitter and i'm yep. just like he just did the bare minimum, the bare minimum. Okay, go off so we're at two o'clock now the mob finally removed the last barrier and they're starting to breach the capitol doors breaking windows everything like that so by 2 p.m., they're inside the Capitol. Um, the interesting thing is, when I was watching it, you see C- on C-SPAN, they have everything. They're not cutting away to anything like CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or anything like that. So C-SPAN, I see um, Capitol Police come in, go out, come in, go out. Mm-hmm. Pence gets taken out, and I'm like, That's what? when you knew. What? <laughs> yeah. And so 2.13... Pence is out. Senate gets called into recess. Um, what we didn't know then, but we do now, is around the same time, the rioters were chasing Eugene Goodman, who was a uh, at the time the lone police off, lone Capitol police officer, is a black man, away from the at the un, at the time the unlocked Senate chambers where everybody was. Mm-hmm. And so there are some pictures you Google Eugene Goodman is going to put out there. So right after that, the House adjourns. They start to evacuate and congressmen and women and senators start hiding in offices uh, as the rioters really just move all throughout the Capitol. The Capitol Police are understaffed. They're overrun. Um, you have people in Nancy Pelosi's office. You have them in uh, the the Senate chamber that where the joint session was being held. Um, someone steals Nancy Pelosi's podium, or yeah, yeah. We're, we're a laptop in her there, office. That's probably yeah, like three thirty. Yep. The only thing you have to say about this is, if they weren't white, we wouldn't have been here. And we can move on to the next comment after that. Yeah. No. I mean that day. 
It's totally crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, that's not a controversial statement. I mean, if it was, if yeah. it was black people, if it, if it was Black Lives Matter, they wouldn't have made it that far. They would have been shot before they even, you know, got anywhere close um, to anything important. So, because um, the thing I, is, this was this rally. Trump already had said he was going to hold the rally. Yeah, this was already known. People have been talking about January 6th for a long time that they were going to meet and gather and that. Yeah. Just on that alone, you have thousands upon thousands of people coming in from across the country. Now, um, rewind back to June, and when you have Black Lives Matter going to protest in the street in D.C., and these are people that mostly live here, the National Guard was called. Mm-hmm. They were in force. Um, the Capitol Police were there in force. That was not here. That was not the case on January sixth. One interesting thing too about everything that happened that day is the National Guard was requested, and I think this is something that still hasn't been cleared up in the narrative. And I, not to like spew a conspiracy theory or anything, but I do think it brings up questions of how did we get here? Um, the mayor of uh, di- the District of Columbia requested the national guard and the department of defense denied that request on that day and that is what led to the insignificant staffing the feeling of being overwhelmed by all of these protesters and we still haven't gotten a clear reason for why in this particular situation when you're already seeing how many people are there um the department of defense chose to deny that request so clearly i mean we're all another argument for D.C. Uh, becoming its own state. D.C. state. Yep. Right, so yeah. then it can have its own National Guard and it can be autonomous in that regard. But yep, yeah. again, different conversation. Yeah, <laughs> but essentially, I mean, everybody can put on their tinfoil hats. I mean, clearly, so people, you know, want to debate, okay, was it an inside job? And I mean, I believe, uh, I think Jamal Bowman is trying to investigate. He has like a legislation for it. Is it the Coop Act or something like that? They like pretty that, much, like they that. want to invest it. Pretty much there. I mean, we still don't know all the details of how certain things happen. But I mean, it is no secret that there are folks both within the Capitol Police itself and within um, the military that, you know, had some sort of allegiance or sympathies to... Um, the rioters uh, on that yeah. day. I mean, I believe that they're... Um, I read something. There were people definitely removed from the National Guard after the fact, mm-hmm. um, for yep. sure. People that uh, got called in afterwards that got uh, removed. Um, there were people that... Um, I mean, I mean, let, let's really talk. There are selfies of the rioters with Capitol Police officers. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like after they had already broken through the door and were like yeah. walking in. Yep. And uh we forgot to mention that four people, at least four or five people, it might be five now. Five people five are people five. did die uh that day. Um uh one of the um rioters was shot by Capitol Police and she died I think before the evening. Um, yeah, she, she died in the hospital. Bed. Um a couple other people I don't uh one one police officer was trampled. Mm-hmm. Um another one another got beat one, with a fire high, uh fire extinguisher. 
Yep, and he died. And then two more Capitol Police officers committed suicide after mm -hmm. the events um, had happened. But ironically, so, we haven't heard pushes for Blue Lives Matter since this event has occurred. Exactly. Yeah, Blue Lives Matter, Blue yeah. Lives Blue Matter Lives was Matter. Never about Where are you guys at? Was, was never about the police. Um, and so then, um, and then there were dozens upon dozens that were injured. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, this was not a bloodless event. Um, and what we have now, uh, well, let, let's finish out that day. So uh, Trump made a tweet uh, that was basically saying, like, you know, uh, don't be violent. We're the All right, guys, go home. Order. Go home. Um, and that, like that helped. Then he released a video saying, like, I know you're angry. This election was stolen from us, but, mm -hmm. you know, don't be violent. We love you. You're very special. Go home. He called them American patriots. Yes, he called them patriots. Ivanka also called them patriots, but she deleted she her took tweet that. like an hour. Yeah. Um, but the big thing with at least Trump's social media is first Twitter removed his tweets and then suspended his account for 12 hours. Mm -hmm. Then Facebook did, and then the domino started to fall. Yeah. What was then, it? Spot, Shopify, Pinterest, Reddit, YouTube, Reddit. Reddit. Yeah, well, this is before page. we get to the permanent bans. Oh, yes. You know, then, I don't know if it was uh, the 8th or maybe the 9th, but and then there. Twitter permanently suspended Trump's account. Then he tried to tweet from the White House account. They removed those tweets. Yep. He tried to tweet from his Team Trump Twitter account, and then that got permanently suspended. And then it just became a ban of social media. So Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, Snapchat, Shopify. I don't even know what Shopify is. Same. Uh, I still uh, want to know why Pinterest decided they had to be in this conversation. Like, really, why? what was he going to do with Pinterest? Make an <laughs> anti-democracy board or, like, a insurrection board? Like, why did y'all need to ban him at the end of the day? I mean, people. I mean, people put art stuff on there. I mean, it. It, I pro it was probably honestly just a bunch of Trump gear, designs mm. and pitches on there. I would think. So yeah, but yeah, a lot of dominoes fall fall after January sixth, right? And we're officially a month away from that, and the dominoes and the effects of that are still being, um, uh, being analyzed. We're still not mm -hmm. done. The effects are still being felt. Um, we're still learning even more details about things that happened that day. Uh, Congress members are sharing their stories only to be combated by other Congress members who said that didn't happen, even though they already said that it did happen. Mm -hmm. So it's really just, and the main person that's really coming out, out and sharing her story is Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Yes. And, um, it's, I think she's gone live on Instagram twice for I think a total of like 130 or 140 minutes detailing yep. like her accounts mm -hmm. of that day. And, you know, we, we sent these people to Washington to obviously lead, but we did not send these people to get any, you know, a part of being a leader is that you will get criticism. You will get, uh, be in the public eye and you will get, um, a level of harassment to that, but we didn't send these people to Washington to die. Mm -hmm. So, even amongst your own members, 
to not show the level of empathy that, hey, we survived this together, where people actually died. It's one thing if people were just getting rowdy around the Capitol, nobody actually got inside. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, some people got wrapped up. But no, they breached it. They were looking for your colleagues to kill them. Kill them. Yep. They and used tear gas. There, said it much leading up to it. Mm -hmm. And you can't just be a decent human enough to just say, you know what, this is wrong. I recognize your experience was different from mine in this. We had a level of fear at a baseline, but yours was enhanced because they were coming for you. And keep because it no, they're too afraid of the political backlash and be like, oh, well, they're thinking we're all like this. But it's mm -hmm. just like, if you're in a group that you identify with, you, you're like, this, these are my people. And they pull off something like this. I don't understand how you can't take a step back and be like, okay, I don't want these people's support or I don't want to be a, involved with these people because the Capitol had not been stormed or assaulted like this since the since War of 1812. <laughs> and one thing that I didn't even mention is that the Confederate flag was being waved and paraded inside the U.S. Capitol, something that the mm -hmm. Confederate Army had never done was not able to do was not able to do and another thing is they removed the american flag outside the u.s capitol building on one of the and, floors and put the trump flag there like i don't care who you are that is un-american yep. i don't care how you feel about the flag yep. whether you love it or whether you hate it that is un-american that is a sign of an invading army establishing dominance yep but that's what they were chanting they they were chanting through the halls that this is our house. And obviously we'll get into this piece, but plot twist, the house moves to impeach Trump and now we're getting ready for a conviction. That is part of the rhetoric that he used, that you need to reclaim your nation. You need to reclaim your country. We have to fight if we want to keep our democracy intact, blah, 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 blah. And that's what they chanted when they broke into Nancy Pelosi's office and sat in her chair, when they stole her podium, when they hung the Trump flag outside of the Capitol, draping it like it was an inauguration moment, and inside the Capitol, when they walked around with the Confederate flag. And something else that we neglect from here is we have all of these uh, Caucasian individuals who are serving on the Senate, but the next day, the people who were cleaning it up were your minorities who work and do the staff. The person who saved, who very much is probably credited for keeping the electoral cert, um, certifications intact and alive was a black man who was alone trying to corral 400 Eugene plus. Goodman, in, yeah. yeah, like there's so much that we have yet to be able to process. There is a trauma there, and especially you could for dissect, our You black could dissect so much from that whole day. <laughs> Like, right, for our black not, folk, this was a moment where we watched the country, one, see what we've been saying for years, but also we saw how quickly the narrative switched back to, yeah, it's just another day in America. Yeah, because not only did Eugene Goodman, like, try to corral them, he had to actually um, instigate yeah. to get them to follow, which is putting his life in the, on the line that's in a different way than what police officers normally do. As he protects some random white reporter who's recording the whole time, not giving two craps about his life. Yeah, and, you know, and another thing, too, is that, like, this, 
This, this, something like this, I mean, it was almost inevitable. And, you know, we talk about, like, you know, a lot of people are really are showing someone like AOC, like, absolutely no empathy. Because at the end of the day, she was really scared. And some mm-hmm. people want to argue where, well, she was in XYZ building, so, you know, she was never in any real danger. But you have to keep in mind that people like AOC and the squad, a lot of, honestly, a lot of Democratic women have been, like, targets of Donald Trump for the past four years. They get death mm-hmm. threats literally all the time. And the stuff that, especially members of the squad get is some of the most, like, worst, most vile things you see in existence. You know, you see in existence. So, I mean... I mean, before we even get to the bigger discussion that is her, actually, you know, let's not even talk about her in any greater detail than than we really need to. But Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is a congresswoman out of Georgia, literally raised... I think it was maybe a hundred thousand dollars off of an ad that showed her with an AR-15 mm-hmm. saying the uh, the squad's worst nightmare, and it showed Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, uh, Rashida Tlaib, and Ilhan Omar. Now, it'd be one thing if she didn't have the gun, but she did. That mm-hmm. is sending a clear message. That is a threat by any other metric in this country, right. because if if you had a, I mean, just just put it bluntly, like you you're in Congress, you're not going to war. Mm-hmm. A war of ideologies is, as we know with American history, can turn into proxy wars and wars yep. of aggression. But you're not going to fight that kind of war in Congress. Yep. But if you. Uh, if you want to talk about fundraising standards for the Republican Party, you already know they have none as both um, Senator Holly and Senator Cruz sent out text messages during the insurrection saying we will fight to stop con- or stop the people from or stop the elites from stealing this election from you. The Republicans don't care <laughs> at, at bare minimum. They don't. That is the conversation that we need to be having. We need to stop calling what Trump did the big lie. They don't care about democracy. They don't care about the people. They care about their power and they care about their ability to get some small wins. And that's the the cancer that we have to better address. Yeah. So, um, yeah, January 6th was a mess. And I mean, I mean, (laughs) out of it, the biggest things you got were, I mean, Trump's impeachment, which he was impeached again by the House for the second time, and it's going for trial in the Senate. Um, unfortunately, you need 60 votes to actually convict him, so you would need, um, what, nine Republicans, I guess? You would need nine um, Republicans to flip, I believe. No, because... No, you need the full 10. Oh, you need yeah, the full you 10. need the full 10 because um, Vice President Harris can't break a tie on this. Mm-hmm. Got it. So, yeah, you would need 10 to flip. I don't really see that happening. But, I mean, it's important for a president. I mean, the biggest thing, I mean, with Trump moving forward is that it would be nice if we could make sure that he doesn't run for president again. Because since he was only in there for four years, he can. um, I think there might be the 14th Amendment, but I'm not the scholar on this. so I'm not sure. Um, But, I mean, that came out of it, obviously. Trump pretty much got banned on everything. Um... 
there have been calls by some Democrats to get some prominent Republicans like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley to resign since they, you know, pretty much were in league with Trump and egging this egging this thing on. You know, they didn't want to go along with the election and things of that nature. Um, and then, am I missing any? Am I missing anything between that between the insurrection and like inauguration day? Um. Not and really. some of this uh, is still well, going Parler on. Well, got taken down. Yeah. Um, oh, and Biden couldn't do his planning for his inauguration. Everything changed because threats against him escalated rapidly. Right. Yep. But I think that's it. Let's let's try it and bring it back to solely about the Democratic Party because January sixth just shows a whole lot of problems with. The country. Um, we're, we're we're gonna. We're. I mean, we're gonna. I think it ties in. We're we're gonna get there. But all yeah. right, inauguration day. Um, inauguration day for the most part is fine, right? It's a general, nice ceremony. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, Michelle Obama looked gorgeous. Um, Michelle, Kamala, and Jill looked like uh, someone. Someone photoshopped them as the Power Rangers because of like the colors they had mm-hmm. <laughs> on their outfits. Um, my man Bernard uh, went viral for his coat and his mittens. Um, so that was a lot of fun. I forget who. I forget the name of the person that did that did um that did the poem. I think, but a lot of people enjoyed oh, that. And, uh... I think it starts with a G. Yeah. And uh, Amanda Gorman. Yeah. Yes. But it was a pretty. I mean, overall, it was a pretty. I mean, it was a pretty chill ceremony to be honest. I mean, Biden and Kamala got sworn in, and then Ossoff and Warnock got sworn in. Um, trying to think of any other. I don't know why this is. The, I don't know why I thought this was the funniest thing, but for some reason, I don't know if it was CNN or whatever. They were interviewing Al Gore, and he had like a planet <laughs> in his background. Yeah. During the interview, and someone was like, "It's inauguration day." It's like Al Gore. It's like Al Gore said, "F this," and decided to live on Mars. Like I don't know why. <laughs> I thought it was the funniest thing, but like, I mean, Al Gore. He was, um, you know, he was Bill Clinton's vice president, ran for president against George W. Bush and lost first time. Does a lot of like climate change activism type stuff. He's, you know, a lot of times the like internet. the candidates that lose yeah. usually kind of have to disappear for a little bit, but like. I don't know why it was so funny that like Al Gore disappears. Like, dude, are you in the moon? Like, what? You know, he's actually the gen- the lead general for the space force. That's our, that's what he is. Um, um, uh, one thing I do have to uh, mention as as a correction. So, for a Senate conviction, it's not sixty; it's sixty-seven. You need a two-thirds majority. Oh, so you have seventeen Republicans. Yeah, no, that's never gonna happen. Yeah. Why do I think it was sixty? Not unless they got, not unless they get rid of the filibuster. We can talk no, about sixty that later. is for um, uh, the. It is currently just... for um, uh, passing. Wait, what is it for passing now? Culture or filibuster? Cold. Why can I say the 60, word? I think Culture. A filibuster. Yeah. I don't know why I thought that was impeachment too. Anyway. But yay! I mean, Joe Biden's president, so Orange Man is gone. Um, officially, he's gone. He uh, he's in Florida. Uh, opened up a new office. Whatever. We can move on from. We we're not really done with him because of the impeachment thing. But Biden is president. Democrats can get started with their agenda. Um, so I like made the joke. Dollars, right? 
I don't, don't don't get me started. So I made the joke. <laughs> I think with you guys, I said that the best couple weeks of Biden's presidency are going to be the beginning because he just went in to start it doing a bill a bazillion executive orders to undo all of uh trump shit so um mm-hmm. i don't have a list of Biden executive orders i can pull them up but i know the muslim ban was one of them yep. um mm-hmm. keystone xl pipeline um he shut that down um he made it so uh, <clears throat> trans folk can be in the military again yes i believe yeah that is uh that is actually true um reopened obamacare um open enrollment because that got closed and we all kind of forgot about it yeah. a lot of a lot of things just happened he did a lot we joined the we rejoined the paris climate accord and the mm-hmm. who so he's just you know he's going he's going through doing a lot of stuff um he started he's selected with pretty much everyone in his cabinet now, right? They just have to get confirmed in the Senate. Is that where we are? Pretty much. Um, so there are some inter- there there are some I mean it's definitely some interesting developments. Uh Pete Buttigieg is in, is in the cabinet, so um he's never going away. <laughs> he's gonna run for president again. Yay. He'll be vice president for Kamala first and then he'll run. Yay. I'd rather have like Julian or somebody like voice. that, but um we'll we'll have to see. Um so um I mean as far as the big I guess the big fights when it comes well I don't I don't know if I'll call them fights, but the big things going on in Congress, I mean outside of the impeachment, um they're trying to get the second stimulus package uh through um, it is, I believe it passed through the House and Senate already, right? Or was the Senate, were they trying to negotiate, uh, the stimulus check if they wanted to, um, if they wanted to knock some of it off based on, like, income or something like that? Is that, I think that's where they're at right now? So, under the, the budget that they passed last, well, not last night, so yesterday morning at around, like, five in the morning, mm-hmm. um, with uh, Pre- Vice President Harris breaking the tie, the 1.9 trillion plan passed. So now I think it's going up to to Biden to sign. Um. So I mean, the the interesting part about this, right, is that the big controversy controversy is the two thousand dollar checks, the fourteen thousand, the fourteen hundred dollar checks. Um. Joe better have my AKA Joe better have my money. So. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm trying to see, start from the beginning. I don't really want to start from the beginning because it, it was it was messy. So I believe at first, uh, bipartisan, the Democrats and Republicans were like they want. I believe they wanted to do 600 initially, and then I think Trump said, "Oh, it should be 2,000." And then the Democrats mm-hmm. in Congress were like, "Oh shit, okay, well, all right, 2,000 it is." And then. Um, McConnell, he didn't he didn't want to do a vote on it, right? Or he wanted to like he he poisoned the bill, didn't he? He put some in there that he knew Democrats wouldn't vote for. So pretty much it was dead. Unless um two thousand dollar checks were dead unless um the Democrats won the Senate, which they did. So you had Ossoff and Warnock running around Georgia with ads with two thousand dollar checks on them saying, like, hey, vote for us and you'll get two thousand dollar checks. So 
Um, in the meantime, $600 was passed and that stimulus check actually went out. So mm -hmm. the main controversy right now is that what Democrat, what Biden is saying is that what the Biden is saying and what is passed and what was passed was $14,000 checks. And their argument is, well, okay, the $2,000 check was the 600 you guys got before plus an extra 1400 Um, a lot of people are upset. They feel like they were at best. They were misled or lied to that people expected that we would be getting fresh $2,000 checks um, from this bill and the more progressive members of Congress, they're pushing for like $2,000 reoccurring checks. Um, mm -hmm. haha, good luck. Um, <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm very, I mean, I identify as a Democratic Socialist and I know how, uh, even with a uh, Democratic Congress, how things um, tend to go because you have some blue dogs and Joe Manchin. So good luck. But um, that's the big controversy right now. So um, I guess, Chris, actually, Chris, I'll, I'll kick this to you because you were talking, you were talking about Democrats being sucky at messaging. Um, would you say this is a good example of uh what you've uh what we've talked about where you know people for a good amount of the country at least thought that we were getting two thousand dollar checks in addition to 600 and we're not um what do you what, what i guess i'll kick to you what what do you guys think about this whole thing oh i think it's just them being ambiguous enough to um let people believe what they want to believe so they can get mm -hmm. elected i think that's just politics yep i would concur especially from the biden administration because they after right before Georgia, but like right before Georgia, they had pivoted and said and started using the language of, well, we still want $2,000 checks, but the 600 counts in our 2000. It was just messaging. Yeah, I mean, I would I mean, I'd have to agree. I mean, the biggest thing here is that like. This is this kind of stuff is like why people hate politics, why people don't trust politicians, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, because they feel like they're always being lied to and manipulated. And I do think the messaging uh, pre-election was ambiguous. You know, now me personally, if I was Biden, I probably just would have went through with the two thousand just to be done, just to keep that campaign promise. I'm curious to see if there would be any blowback in Georgia um, with this. Because obviously, I mean, Ossoff and Warnock running on $2,000, I'm not going to say that's the reason that they won, but that definitely, I mean, it definitely helped them. You know, they, I think there were a lot of factors in Georgia that flipped Georgia blue, as we mentioned, Stacey Abrams and the organizing. I think the Republicans, I mean, some Republicans did not, were, did, were mad at Loeffler and Purdue because they felt like they didn't, um, they didn't help Trump enough in the general, you know, so... There are a lot of reasons there, but I mean, stuff I mean, like the, the issues thing. like this are like one of the, the biggest mess are why I get uh, frustrated with the Democrats and their messaging. Because I mean, say vote for me, you're going to get $2,000 is a slam dunk, you know, argument It's a slam and, and it's a promise that's not, it's something that isn't super hard to do, in my opinion. You know, there are certain mm -hmm. policies that you know, you think of like, I don't know, like progressives want Medicare for all. Well, that involves pretty much getting rid of the private healthcare industry. And that is, you know, not an easy thing to do. But something like $2,000 yeah. checks, I'm kind of like, all right, y'all, like, just give people money. So, 
you know, you guys don't get blown out in two years in the House, which is what Democrats are currently worried about. And we can, yeah. well, we I, can get I into that. The other thing is, so you may get blowback from maybe in the House, but in the Senate, you know, that, let's say they let's say some people did elect them solely on the two thousand dollar promise or that's what pushed them over the edge. Um, you got six years before Osof and Warnock are up for reelection. I thought one I thought no, one only had two years because it was a special. Warnock election. has two years. Osof has uh, yeah. six. But by the time they come up for election, they'll, most people will probably have forgotten this whole ordeal. Well, yeah, we well, yeah exactly. I mean, it's early. I mean, there we and got two years full of scandals. Yeah, and Republicans won't want to bring that up because then it'll mm-hmm. be like, "Well, your whole party was opposed to this in the first place." Yep. So it's something to bring up during a primary, if you have a primary challenge, but mm-hmm. which we can also talk about in a few, but. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I think for me on the messaging piece with the Democratic Party, I'm hopeful that Georgia finally breaks the stupid mindset that the Democrats have had for the last umpteenth years that, oh, we need to focus on Texas and flipping these states that we have never had. And they genuinely just moved to a 50 state, 50 state strategy. And uh, Caleb and I had talked about this on our pod of you have independents in montana who would vote for democrats if they just ran on an environmentalist framework and talked about how they were going to protect public lands all of those pieces why can't we do that why do we need to allow these extremists on the conservative side to paint y'all as socialists and make all of these arguments that poison the water so that's my hope that's where i'm i'm looking forward to this narrative going. Yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree that um, I think a 50 state, 50 state strategy is what's needed. And there does need to be more of a focus on issues that affect individual issues that affect certain states or communities, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I want to talk about the text cause that's a really big, I mean, that that's, I mean, it goes back to the democratic messaging issue, now, I think what is also, so I think, you know, after um, the initial, like the general election, there was a fear I think a lot of Democrats had that like, man, like we could get wiped out. If we don't, you know, what if we don't win the Senate and then Biden pretty much can't get anything done and then Democrats get uh, wiped out in 2022 and um, down ballot, then it's pretty much back to, what year was it in, under, in the Obama administration? Was it 2010? Where they lost the house? I forget. Um, I know Obama came in with a majority, and then they lost it, and that 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 hurt him. And yeah, presidency. it would have been it would have been twenty ten because he won two two um, thousand eight, and it would have been the midterm election. So yeah, yeah. So and he lost the Senate in twenty fourteen. That being yep. that being said, um, what helps the Democrats out right now is that. I mean, most of us know there's always there there's a civil war in the Democratic Party between the progressives, the moderates, and um, some never Trumpers that vote for Democrats now. They're all trying to influence Biden, but uh-huh. you also have a big civil war on the Republican side right now because they're trying to figure out how do they move forward with Trump. So you got people like Marjorie Taylor Greene who are you know the QAnon crazy ultra Trumpy types. You've got um, 
the more you got people like the McConnell, the more establishment Re- Republicans where they just want tax cuts. They want a whole power. So, I mean, as of right now, I mean, they've done polling for Republicans in 2024 and Trump is still <laughs> Trump is still like their favorite because um, they don't really have anybody. They don't have any stars, up and coming stars as of yet that are nearly as popular as Trump mm-hmm. is. I mean, Trump pretty much has a cult following. So, um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what kind of strategies they'll have in, you know, in a couple years. And, you know, could that help or hurt Democrats? I think it really depends on, you know, I mean, Democrats, they pretty much want everything. I mean, they have to deliver on certain stuff. I think Mm -hmm. there has to be a general feeling of, hey, our lives are a little bit better under Biden. Um, You know, I don't think 2022 is lost for Democrats at all. I think it really just comes down to how much this administration is able to get done. Um, so, um, one thing I want, one thing I wanted to, I know I've been rambling for a minute. One thing I wanted to bring up is, um, the new star in the Senate. Um, we no longer, I mean, we don't have to worry about Mitch McConnell as much. I mean, there's still a filibuster for voting, but Democrats can pass stuff with 51 votes through budget reconciliation. So now the um, most conservative Democrats in the Senate are essentially the ones that if you're not going to get any Republican support, if it's not a bipartisan idea, you pretty much have to get them on board to do stuff. So I think it's um, I think Kirsten Cinema, Kirsten Cinema, and Joe Manchin are the yeah. people joke that they're the two most powerful senators in the country because you got to go around them to get stuff. So I still don't agree with. I don't think Joe Manchin's as powerful as people want to give him credit for. Like. Just knowing how Chuck Schumer operate has operated in his leadership capacity, he doesn't care about putting votes on the floor that people will disagree with because he he has some relationships. I still stand by it's the Mitt Romney, um, Susan Collins, and Lindsey Murkowski's who are still the most powerful because all it takes is one of them to come over and Joe Manchin is still irrelevant. And I think they are now a game player that... Um, people just aren't giving them credit for right now because they're Republican. That's a fair point. So you you would so you think that there's a good chance on certain issues we'll be able to flip a couple of those Republicans over and yeah. Joe Manchin isn't as big of a deal. Yeah. I think he, Joe uh, Manchin's playing his cards too soon and already showing that I'll stand against this and I'll do that and Chuck Schumer's just showing him he doesn't care. That's why uh Manchin came out against all the COVID relief at first, and then within a few days, he was <laughs> yeah, already he on the bullied. side of, oh, I pass it. I think, um, well, I didn't Kamala Harris, it wasn't a controversy, didn't she go to West Virginia and do like an interview, yeah. and Joe Manchin was pissed? Such a dumb controversy. Um, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I, I mean. Joe Manchin he, up for re-election. Uh, he's in this he, next batch, I'm pretty sure. This next batch, so, yeah. He uh, he got reelected in eight, well, in eighteen, I think he did. It might be a couple more years then. Senators are in there for way too long. Why is it six years? It should be four. Anyway, <laughs> that's I mean, just. I understand why the Senate is six, mm-hmm. and the way it works out, it makes sense mathematically. But at the same time. It's just frustrating because it's just hard to knock anyone out. Because, I mean, even with a president, it's at least only four. You know, a governor, it's four. You know. But anyway, I I, I digress. So, I mean, 
Yeah, Terrell, I mean, I hear your point. We'll have to see what happens with some of these issues. I mean, Col- I mean, Manchin, I think, was bullied in the past in the COVID relief. I think that was just too big of a deal for Democrats not to get done. You know, mm-hmm. that was part of the reasons they won. I think the next big thing right now is a minimum wage. So, um, Manchin, I mean, he came out and said that he think he doesn't know if the minimum wage. He, he's playing his cards, right? He's like, I don't know if it should yeah. be 15. It might be, I think 11 might be okay for West Virginia. Because, I mean, there is an argument that every state, you know, every state has a different, you know, minimum wage because the cost of living is different. West Virginia, 15 will probably get, I mean, West Virginia in general is just a much poorer state. You know, it's 15, wait, 15, $15 will go much farther there than a place like California. But mm-hmm. I mean, because it's already fi- fifteen in California. Yeah, but fifteen is the baseline for the country, and then afterwards, individual states can if they want to go higher, they can. Usually, that's how the minimum wage ends up working out. So, you know, we'll have to see what he does. But I have a feeling that one way or another, minimum wage is going to pass. I think there's been enough yeah. organizing around that issue. That and marijuana are like the things I'm sure are going to happen under Biden. He supports it. Most Democrats supports it. It pulls over 60%. Just get it done. I mean, even some Republicans support it. Mm-hmm. So, especially once you can figure out how it gets taxed. They are in support. Definitely. Um, so actually, I've been talking. I know I've been talking for a while. So let me um, let me kick it over to you guys then. As far as like policies, things of that nature, what fights would you want to see um, in the Biden administration, or what things would you want to see get accomplished before the end of this first term? Now that we have the three chambers, I mean, you can have something you want to happen that maybe you think won't, and something that um, you think actually will. I'll let the host go first. I'm. With that, I'm, I mean, I, I've done a bunch of talking. I'm if if I do, uh, my my next thing is, uh, I know Terrell, you're against in, in in a certain way, shape, or form, but the Supreme Court needs more than nine justices. Oh, god, <laughs> see, see, I knew how that was going, and, see, and the reason why is not because we need to pack the court. Yes, now, some people may argue that, but my whole thing was the Supreme Court historically had nine judges at some time and sometimes it went up to 10 sometimes it went down to seven but it mm-hmm. had one of the things that supreme court justices do that not a lot of people know outside the legal profession and even some in the legal profession is mm-hmm. that they are assigned one of the federal circuits to look over those cases mm-hmm. and we have 13 um circuits if you know including dc um Wait a minute. Yeah, 13. And we have nine justices, which means some get two or, you know, they 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 shift it around. So if we get more, then it will even itself out. The other thing is we have so many more federal judges than we do Supreme Court judges. And the way the federal system works out is it provides more of a balance where you won't have one side really having too much power even though some judges even though they may be republicans will be more liberal in their rulings and vice versa but at roberts yeah well i think he's really just trying to be the moderate and not being too uh too far right yeah um, <laughs> no i i mean i can agree to that in the sense that uh um we also have to just own the fact our supreme court system is in it's very slow 
it because it doesn't have the capacity to review cases and to work out schedules and have people where they need to, um, there are a lot of major decisions that could come out sooner, but because of our oral arguments, the the current um, composition of the Supreme Court, it just can't live up to where we are in this age. So yes, I can agree to that. I just don't like the idea of adding more justices. It's the institutionalists in me, even though the Supreme Court wasn't inherently designed to be this way. I just, the optics don't look good and I don't want to give the Republicans another reason to be like, look, the Dems are trying to ruin democracy when they've already ruined democracy. Well, my my argument for that would be is that if we're going to expand, like I have this one time article, which it makes a lot of very good points and it doesn't say like 13, it says 27 would be a good start. And do like a rotation? Well, no. Uh, my my idea would be okay. We're if we're gonna say if let's say we're gonna do it to thirteen, right? Mm-hmm. Biden gets two. Then uh, you rotate it until you get to thirteen. Next administration gets one. Pre next administration gets one, and then until you get to thirteen, because we're going to have justices die or retire in the next you know, eight to 12 years. Yeah. Um, and so then at that point, I think probably Roberts, let's say if we go 12 years and Breyer is gone, Thomas is gone. Um, I'm forgetting someone, someone else that's up there in age. Um, but by that time, your oldest justice will be Roberts. And I think uh, he will be at that time maybe like in his mid 60s mm-hmm. um oh no he's 66 now so he'll be in his mid 70s so he'll almost be on his way out um so then you're just going to have a bunch of younger justices that will presumably be in their positions of uh power for a couple decades so um that would be a good way if you really want to be balanced but I also think if you do it that way, you're less likely going to have five, four splits like you do now. You probably won't have seven, six splits. You'll probably have a lot more that are eight, five. Mm-hmm. Fair. No, I think for me, um, I think for me, as I think about this administration, what they're going to do, both of our parties are in two consequential moments. For the Republican Party, I think they're in a space where they need to either lean in and just own the fact that they are now the party against facts and against democracy or really have yeah like own that they're the QAnon party or have a real conversation about how do we get back to where we once were because the conservatives today are not the conservatives from 10 12 years ago and yes it's 100% Obama they went out against him and it ruined them for the Democrats I, I think they're running the risk right now of further exploiting the voter block that has historically turned out for them, the black vote. And they are running the risk of leading our population to say, we're done. We're done supporting y'all. We're done supporting the Republican party and we'll do our own thing, which isn't a bad thing inherently. I'm full support for African-Americans to come together, organize and, and have their voice be heard in an appropriate way. But for the Democrats, that means that they very well can end up being a majority for the remainder of history. Um, I mean a minority for the remainder of history so with all of that being said I think when I look at the Biden administration one of the big 
issues that has come up because of the insurrection and just from that is um giving dc statehood i i was initially against it i i didn't like the idea or the concept because dc was purposefully made into a district but it's grown so much from where we are that it it makes no sense that this group of people have a senator who's non-voting who just sits there and listens to everything and tries to lobby you can buy a lobbyist you don't need a senator there to do that job and it would it would be the first state to be majority african-american which i i know that's not a a selling point for a lot of people but (laughs) that shows an investment to we understand that there is a group of minoritized individuals who are not represented in their government and we're going to do something about it. Um, a bigger population than Mon- or Wyoming. Yep. And one of the Dakotas. I think it's South Dakota or not one of them. Um, and then on top of that, we need to pass the Voting Rights Act already. Like, it, it's been held up too long. I hate Mitch McConnell for his sluggish behavior on there. But H.R. 1... It's a turtle. HR one is an investment into actually allowing people to be represented in their government and have their voices heard and all the good things. Um, And it puts in a system that the Supreme court got rid of that holds spaces like Alabama, Georgia, Texas accountable for all the suppressionist actions they've been using for voting rights. So if the Democrats are actually going to do something, after this election yes actively are working on doing right now so if the democrats are really committed to what they ran on the people that put them there if the words that um, joe biden said during his acceptance speech is have any truth in them those are kind of the two big policies that i think starts to signal that we're done just playing identity politics and and making y'all feel good we're actually going to pass policies that make y'all feel good but who's to say no, I definitely agree with you. The Voting Rights Act is huge. And then um, I think it's time. I think it's really time. I mean, it's been time. Black people, I mean, I think specifically we need to start talking about reparations. Now, I'm not under any, like, I don't even know what the word is. But I understand that something like that is hard. I know it's going to take organizing. I don't think it'll happen under Biden's first term, at least. But who knows if there is organizing and work oh, around God. it then possibly, you know, President Kamala Harris in her uh, second term <laughs> is, able to, is able to sign a reparations bill. Um, You're optimistic think, over there. I know, right? I think, um, <laughs> I think, honestly, I think that's one issue. I think that would be a clear issue that if we were able to, if Black people were able to organize around it, if we were able to get more Democrats on board, which it's not impossible. I mean, Elizabeth Warren and Julian Castro in the Democratic primary you know, at least signaled that they were interested in investigating uh, reparations a little bit. So, I mean, that idea is out there, but I want it to be more of a slogan. I want I want people to start coming up with actual plans, actual legislation, actual things like that, that could um, maybe benefit black people in this country. I think it's something that um, definitely would keep black people for being super apathetic and not voting for Democrats because mm. I mean this election cycle is just more proof that it without black people Democrats wouldn't win like ever nope you know you look at every major city with a high black population I mean had to overperform to help kick Trump help kick uh, Trump out I mean you had people like officer Eugene Goodman who you know 
theoretically, most likely saved the lives of a lot of, um, saved the lives of, I believe, Mike Pence and um, many other politicians, you know, so black people are constantly putting in the work for this country, you know, that brought us here as slaves, and I do think at a certain point, the U.S. government, I mean, they owe us, so... That's something yeah. that I think that should be organized around. And to be honest, I mean, I know that sometimes I come off as like the ultra progressive voice and the Bernie Krat and things of that nature. But even in like those circles, they don't even like to push reparations, even in like what you would call like far left progressive circles. So I think that's something that needs to be pushed from the activist base um, over time. And I mean, over time, you know, maybe we can get it signed into law in 20 years. We'll see. Don't get us started on the white liberals now. Of course, they don't push reparations because they really don't care. Well, but, they don't. Well, uh, they're back to brunch now. <laughs> oh, we didn't even talk about. Listen, y'all. Listen, white liberals. I love y'all. Please, 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 <laughs> stop being creepy and freaky when you talk about black people, especially black women. Okay, yeah, I saw yeah. a white guy. He's after uh, Trump after um, the election night. He said that I I want to have Stacey Abrams babies. Why would you? Why would you tweet that? Why would you like say that? that? Did she it, ask it you? Seems like whenever they want to praise black people, they always make it in some weird sexual connotation. It's just, yep. it's just weird, weird and horny. It makes makes me uncomfortable. They're like, oh my god, I, I on election on on inauguration day, some guy was like, I just want Michelle Obama to like kick me with those heels. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, I remember seeing you on tweet where someone was just like, yeah, I want uh, if if, if uh, Michelle Obama you know, ran me over with her car and I would still look at her and be like, yes, queen. Like, stop, stop. It's not necessary. They're not okay. All you have to say is, thank you, Stacey Abrams. Wow, Michelle Obama looks beautiful. She looks gorgeous. That's it. You can stop there. I don't, we don't need weird analogies to like murder and like violent masochistic stuff. Like, stop. It's gross. Yeah. All right, I'm done. My 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 rant is over. Um, yeah, no. But yeah, I mean, I think I think reparations is an issue that should be looked at, and I mean, it's controversial even in what you will call like far left circles because you know whenever you want to have whenever you want to do something that clearly focuses on black people, mm-hmm. a lot of white people doesn't matter how progressive they are, they get a little uncomfortable. So I think that there needs to be organizing around it. Fix the system first. Not incomplete. Social justice isn't complete without economic justice. Exactly. But fix the system first. I and maybe it's just my skepticism of this country because she has only proved to do harm, never to do good. Um, but okay, cool. You you make reparations a, a plan, but I think to our indigenous folks who were pushed on the reservations here's your land we'll give you free school free schooling and how they got impacted by this pandemic i think to um just all the conversations we have about indigenous folks our black folks and thinking about how the country can do more justice for them but we're ignoring the fact that the system is still built to keep us behind. So mm-hmm. yeah, do the reparations and, and make some impact, but don't forget that you still have most of our black folks in food deserts where they can't even get healthy food, which disproportionately impacts their health and give them lower life expectancies. Don't forget that you purposefully drew lines in our housing systems that 
don't give property taxes to our schools. So these students are going to the only school they're allowed to. Um, and then you're trying to push this whole like school of choice BS, knowing that they can't afford to go to these bigger schools. You just want an excuse to not have to pay them even more. Um, but you, you're sending them here and giving them a faulty education and then telling them you'll figure out life on the fact that black people can't afford stocks. Like there's so many pieces to it where I support reparations and I, I understand why it is necessary, but I also have my hesitations because our system is not built to let reparations actually bring us up. It's just to appease us for another day. Let's not, uh, let's not talk about uh, uh, some of those things that that were said uh, school school of choice and right uh the education system after being under four years of Betsy the boss um but uh all um, your buildings were named after her chris i don't know why you hate her so much <laughs> if you could see my you know i'm, <laughs> I'm just happy the boss is gone okay she can go on one of her 17 yachts um, one one other system that uh, I think desperately needs to be reformed um, is the immigration court system. Now, the mm. immigration system itself needs some reforming. But the immigration court system is so. The immigration courts are not under the judiciary; they're under the executive branch, which makes a court system. Now, courts are not by their design in our country are not supposed to be political. Are they? Yes. But are they? Uh, but the immigration courts themselves are inherently political because they're determined by the executive branch, which is elected. So their uh, out outlook on immigration will severely impact how these cases are decided and what um, they're looking at. I mean, granted, the DEA has courts, you know, drug courts, but that I mean, that's a, that's a whole other thing. But the attorney general is what sets the direction and they get their sort of instruction for the president on what they want to focus on for immigration. And one of the reasons that, um, if you put it under judiciary, you'll get better funding for the, um, immigration courts, you'll have more immigration judges. And when you have more then more cases can get heard, you won't have people sitting in jail. You won't have kids separated from their parents as long. So it, it's just a system that desperately needs, Reformation. Absolutely. Also, um, one thing I do want to say on a completely different subject, but like I know that a lot of Democrats want Puerto Rico to become a state, but Puerto Ricans don't want to become a state, so stop mm -hmm. pushing that. They're Puerto good Pro on their own. Yeah, Puerto yeah, Rico is very interesting. Their 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 politics are very interesting. But I mean, I mean, yeah, if they don't want it, then what are you going to do? But put the onus on people of color to come save democracy again. Again. But we haven't dropped that mantle yet. We've saved it more times than anyone can speak of. So Even when we couldn't even experience it. Yep. Which is why I, to clarify, because I've said multiple times how I dislike white liberals, that is why I dislike white liberals, if I'm going to be completely honest. White liberals have this belief that the entire system needs to be burnt down and they're doing it for our BIPOC folk and they're woke and they're fixing blah, 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 blah. African-Americans, people who of marginalized populations have fought for this democracy and have tried to prop it up in a lot of ways. There's things we disagree with, but we've, we've bought into there's a chance that we can fix it. Don't tell me that 
you know what I want and that by burning the system down, you're doing something for me when I never asked for that once. So I just want to throw that out there before a white liberal hears this and comes from my life. I mean, there are, I mean, there are black activists who want to burn the system down. Well, actually, Torrell, let me ask you, let me ask you, when you say burning the system down, what exactly do you mean? Do you mean like stuff like, I don't know, abolish ICE or like abolish the police? Is that what you're kind of getting at? No, I mean, like, I mean, the liberals who don't understand the functions and are genuinely closer towards the anarchists, I guess. Uh, we need to completely deconstruct everything that is currently in place and build something completely new. I'm all for getting rid of ICE. That was a policy that got passed in a uh, wartime that made some very inappropriate decisions and has never done anything good for anyone. Um, I, I'm in full support of reallocating the funds from the police department to actually invest in communities and make them better. Those make sense. Those are things that will do good things. But the ones who are over here questioning why we even have a Senate and there's been like, there's been so many conversations about just getting rid of the Senate all of a sudden. Those are the liberals from like, "Mm, go to civics class. That's it. That's all I need from you. You mean like the anarchist that called me an uncle Tom because I didn't want to abolish the Supreme court. Yep. <laughs> or the one who told me I was a part of their system of oppression because I voted in the primary for Joe Biden. Yeah, those. Those are the ones I want to get rid of. Lord have mercy. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. I mean, I think definitely. I mean, you guys, I mean, I think you guys even, I mean, I'm not going to talk about your jobs, but like. <laughs> I think you guys are closer to institutions than I am, which is mm. why I'm probably less of an institutionalist than the two of you. Because I'm obviously straight up, I want to run for office. Like, I'll talk to people. They're like, Chris, you should run. I'm like, no. <laughs> Never. I was like, I work for a nonprofit and organize around an issue, but I would not, I would not run to run, want to run for office. I know it would change me in ways that I probably wouldn't like, and that's why I wouldn't do it personally. Oh yeah, but, I don't know anything about anybody trying to pressure me to run for office. But if, if you need, I don't some, know what but, you're talking about. <laughs> if you need someone to uh, help you run your marketing campaign, though, I got you. But um, I'll be, I, I could be in the shadow somewhere running some ads. But um, so Chris, that, I never said you had to run. Yeah, uh, a text message on election day about <laughs> when am I running? <laughs> I mean, you could also just go for the Supreme Court. Like, it's a very loose run but hey you, you could do something <laughs> it takes a, i mean it, it takes a while to get the supreme court i feel like but it is it is chris it is possible chris we don't want to okay amy coney barrett who didn't serve that, in that, nowhere given that last nomination and confirmation not that much i've almost practiced in private practice as long as she has <laughs> and i haven't Literally. even been a lawyer for a full year also Literally. This is one one anecdote I have from the Trump administration. How many people got jobs they were unqualified for? Listen, if you ever felt like you're unqual- you're unqualified for a job, you're not. Apply for that job. Ask that gr- <laughs> ask that girl out this out of your league. Like if you like, so I saw a meme that said that I wish I could have the confidence as an average white man. <laughs> Facts. Like oh my god. Like anything that you think you're not. Anytime you get like imposter syndrome, you don't think you're good enough to do something. Um, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. You never know. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. You never know. Mm, facts. You know, like, 
the stuff. I mean, I I will say I don't. There are certain things. Let me. I have another question for you guys. Just, I don't know if this relates to Democrats as much. Um, at, well, this I guess this relates to the Trump administration and COVID, right? So you guys are definitely more institutionalist than me. Obviously, certain rules are broken, but with the Trump administration and with COVID, as far as our society goes, as far as our country. What thing? What what things that um have been changed? Are you okay with? And this doesn't be politics. It could be even like work, like working from home. What things that are changed? That what things that have changed? Do do you like and are fine with keeping? And what things do you want to see go back to the way they were before? I know that's kind of a loaded question, but some I've thought about. And if you don't have anything, I can go first. It's fine. Um, I know it's a loaded question. Yeah. No, I mean, it's one I've been thinking about too. Like uh, I just had this conversation um working in higher ed. I've I had a hope that higher ed institutions would take this as a pause and recognize here's a moment where we can really re-envision how we service students and how we we service community. So, yeah, we're going to let you work virtually but invest in the community around you, support that small business, meet your students at a, bless you, um, meet your students at a um, coffee shop or something, do all these things. And it, I'm quickly learning that was a fool's dream. So I guess for me, I, I want to go back to the COVID a year ago today when we were all in it together, we were trapped at home, it sucked, but people invested in themselves and people found an opportunity to get out and do things. We were all I don't baking want, bread and reading books. Yeah, like I don't want the COVID that we got by June where everyone was over it. It had come out that COVID, it disproportionately impacted people of color. So the white folks started saying we need to liberate our states. Like that's the part that I want to lose. But at the same time, I want the president to understand that they have the ability to... Um, put moratoriums on evictions and foreclosures. And I want them to use that power more because we are in housing crises across the country. And yeah, maybe you feel that's a, an overstep of the president, but after this is over, he's going to have to keep signing those moratoriums because people still are out of work. And if you think that the landlord is just going to look at that person and go, well, Joe Biden stopped signing them, but I'm going to keep you in this house. You're a fool. And those are the things that I, I want those pieces to say, like, yes, maybe you don't want the president to have that much power, but they did more good and they are a means to doing good. So follow them. I think to piggyback off that, Terrell, I think the fact that we did at least get one stimulus check, um, you know, when Andrew Yang was running with UBI, everybody was like, oh, man, whatever. That's not, you know, even the Bernie people are like, oh, man, get out of here. Now that we know that it is possible for the government to send people direct checks, um, I do, I am curious of the future of what something like UBI is going to look like. Andrew Yang, I think he's running for mayor in New York right now. I don't know if he's going to win. I've already seen, heard of issues with his campaign, but yeah. I do think the idea of UBI is here to stay. I don't mm -hmm. know. If maybe certain states or certain, you know, cities and counties start doing it, we'll have to see what happens. But I'm curious to see um, with, um, if you want to call it UBI, if you want to call it stimulus checks, that kind of thing. I'm curious to see um, direct payments 
what that could do because there is an argument even from like a, a conservative perspective they don't like the welfare states they don't like food mm-hmm. stamps stuff like that there's an argument that if you give people cash then it people actually use less of other government services and yep. it can save money in the long run so i think that's a it's still you know up for debate ubi as far as like a country goes i don't know um i don't know if any country's done it before some of them probably have at least you know Permanent. Mm-hmm. I mean, permanently, but I think it's definitely an interesting idea to look at going forward, even after we get out of COVID. If, yeah. say, we had another depression or recession or something like that. You know? And one other thing that I don't think is getting talked about at this moment, but might might be a topic to keep your ears perked out for. Under the Trump administration, specifically due to trade with China, but then exacerbated because of COVID, our support and influence in the agricultural sector diminished substantially. Mm-hmm. And I'm intrigued to see, are we going to start seeing a divorce from government running our agriculture, our farming, our food, all of that, as much as it had and what that might lead to? Are we going to start seeing some of these bigger corporations um, not crumble, but start breaking apart, not because they can't stay, they can't manage, but because they're recognizing that it's easier for them to separate off and do other things. Um, those are some pieces too, that I think COVID helped to exploit a little bit and it might turn out to be a good, if the government doesn't immediately jump back to normal and throw a bunch of money at the farmers. All right, Chris, what you got, got for us? Here. I don't got a lot of here. Um, You're blinking. I know it's a loaded question. My bad. No, I just know that, I mean, I echo with a lot of what Terrell said. I just, thinking of, like, the institutions that I'm in, um, I just feel like they're, I mean, they're, they're uh, something that was already going to happen, um, COVID withstanding was um, that, like, at least here in Michigan, they were going to allow, like, people other than attorneys to bring in cell phones and things of that nature, which brings up more accessibility to the courts. But one thing that people were pushing for were um, more like live streaming of the court so people can watch it at home. They don't have to come in getting uh, more uh, live oral arguments from uh, like the Supreme Courts of the states and in federal courts and things of that nature, because that gets more people accessible to all levels of our judicial system because as we have seen in this past four years from the top all the way to the bottom there is a vast misunderstanding of what our court systems can do and how they operate (laughs) you mean they can't just throw away votes for the election (laughs) 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 no it's good chris it's good now, one thing, <laughs> one thing I also want to mention, and this is probably, this might be a double-edged sword for you guys. So I think one thing that we've seen is that, you know, typically when you think of like someone in Congress or a senator, you think of people having to like rise up the ranks of politics. Maybe you start out in city council and then you work your way up to, or maybe you start in like, you know, maybe you start with student council, not student council stuff, school board stuff, and then you get to city council, and then maybe you get to Congress and da 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 But now we're seeing um, more, I guess you would classify like regular people running for office and winning. So, I mean, AOC is the most famous example, but I mean, this cycle, 
we had Jamal Bowman and Corey Bush. Jamal Bowman was a principal. Corey Bush was a nurse and turned Ferguson activist, and they run for office and ran. So, I mean, on one hand, I like the idea of more regular people running for office. I do think, I do think our politicians, their backgrounds, a lot of times, they're just too wealthy, too elite, and they don't understand the struggles of regular people. That being said, the I mean the drawback to quote unquote regular people running right is that you get like QAnon in red areas, you know. Yeah. And these people, you're like, where did they come from? And I think, unfortunately, after the Trump era, the Pandora's box is open, and I dread the day when we're gonna get you know, what if we get a Nazi who runs and wins, you know? <laughs> Like, a straight-up yeah. Nazi. Like, I mean, that's the next step, right? So, that's one. I mean, I think that's a norm that's broken that's not going away. And, I mean, there's there's good and bad, for sure. No, I, I fully support it. I, while I might disagree with AOC, I love the fact that for our generation, she ran and she showed that you could run. Because I, I, I just think the age of Congress is too old right now. And that's something I've never been um, hesitant about. But there was a really interesting... Um, historical analysis I read somewhere and then saw the TikTok of it where they broke it down a little bit more. But after um, Gerald R. Ford, you find that all the presidents to follow after only four had a history in government. Every other president either only served a few moments in government like Obama or had no connection whatsoever like Nixon and Trump and Bill Clinton. Um, And I think it was just a matter of time before that trickled into the Senate and into the the House. The House has always kind of had that option. But my hope is we start seeing some more of those challenges to revitalize those institutions. Because I think one of the reasons we have such a distrust in it is because you have those politicians who've just been there for years and because of name recognition, they are going to get reelected or um, in the case of um, Markey and Kennedy, like you say a couple really good things and people know your name, so they'll vote for you, even though Kennedy was the younger and probably better candidate between the two, if I'm being frank. Um, so I'm hopeful that we have more of that. And yes, there's going to be the skepticism and caution of the conservative party and where it is right now. But hopefully um, people just get smarter or... Democrats just get better at messaging and don't let uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene run on all these QAnon issues and not put up a competent candidate to run against her and be like, I'm just sensible. I won't even say I'm a Democrat. I'm running as an independent, but at least I'm sensible. So I'm not moving to her district, Terrell. That's not happening. No, no, no. I would never do that to you. Where's she from? She's from Georgia, right? Yeah. 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 I'm trying to. I'm trying to. We've been. We've been at it for what hour and a half almost. Uh, yeah, probably. Little, yeah. little over. I'm trying to think if I had anything else I wanted to mention. Oh, oh, oh. Well, I will say this. Um, I'm not speaking to Terrell and Chris. Sorry, guys. Um, fellow uh, progressives. Um, we have our next rising star and our next um race to really look out for. Um. So Nina Turner is running for Congress in Ohio on a special election. Mm-hmm. She was um, she was Bernie's number two, 
um, pretty much. Um, uh, Biden picked, uh, I think, Marcia Fudge for his cabinet, and now she's running for that seat. And, um, you know, what's funny about Nina Turner is that, I mean, people like me, we love her. Nina Turner is absolutely despised by a lot of establishment Democrats. I mean, she was with Bernie back in 2016. So I'm curious. I think she has a pretty good shot of winning just because she was a state. She's from that area. She's a state senator in Ohio. She's fundraising like gangbusters. So I'm curious to see what happens when she goes to Congress because that is not someone I want to fight. <laughs> I would ever want to go up against. So that is definitely, I mean, election season, you know, it's never truly over, right? That's mm -hmm. a, a race I'm looking at. Um, I just, I don't know. I, 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 one thing I will say is that what's interesting was that, you know, when Bernie ran pretty much both times, you know, his most, I will, we'll put it this way. His most passionate supporters tended to be white. They tend to be, they tended to argue with people and, you know, <laughs> Bernie kind of got flack for, well, his base is too white. Even though when you look at like the squad, right. And they're kind of, kind of seen as like Bernie acolytes almost, Mm -hmm. Except for maybe Ayanna Presley, I think Ayanna Presley kind of hangs out with Warren a little bit more. But I mean, she they vote for the same shit pretty much. Um, they're pretty they're pretty much all that. people. They're pretty much all <laughs> people of color. And um, Jamal Bowman's the only man. It was funny they took a picture together, and Jamal Bowman looked like the little brother <laughs> in that photo. It was um. So I'm curious to see um. What happens with them? I mean, me personally, like, obviously, Bernie and Wynn, I think I would like to see progressives have a block in Congress and be able to, you know, amend bills and lobby for things. Um, you know, that's where I kind of see the future. And what happened this cycle, which I thought was interesting, is that a lot of the Democrats that lost tended to be moderate. So yeah. the progressives actually do have... Since there's more of them now, they actually do have a little bit more power than they did before because that now if Nancy Pelosi wants to get a bill passed, she either is going to have to go to Republicans or go to the progressives, you know. I so, mean, look at Chuck Schumer right now because he's so afraid that AOC is going to run against him. He's out here throwing up policies left and he's right. Like, Let's like, get rid of I support all of this. Chuck, you know, Chuck Schumer's Twitter account is like, let's get rid of student debt, guys. And we're like, what? <laughs> Where was this energy a uh, little while ago? I mean, I I mean, well, you have a Democratic president, so you might as try. Yeah. But I do think, I mean, I think personally, I think everyone should be primaried, even people that I like. I mean, everyone in the squad mm. got primaried. And they all won. I think. Handedly. I think getting primaried at the very least, make sure that you're not out of touch with your district completely and you can't just, you know, fly by. I mean, that being mm -hmm. said. You know, primary challengers tend to always have money problems, right? And that's why some primaries, you look at a primary like, is this real or not? You know, is the yeah. challenger funded or not? You know, so and usually, usually not every not every politician is going to get primaried because they try to primary ones that look weaker. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see how the party handles the um, Nina Taylor situation in Ohio. I'm, I don't know if they're going to just let her run. Or if they're going to come out and force against her just out of... Because she's not well-liked. It's not a secret. If the the Democrats, especially like we were talking about with Gary Peters in charge of the Senate um, campaign committee, like, are they going to 
kind of mend some forces, do some things together to, to try to cut stop her at Nina the knees. Turner. I mean, that's what. Yeah. I mean, I would. I know the Democratic establishment. I would expect them to have a credible challenger to her. There isn't one yet. You know, I. I mean. Out of all the progressives that tend to run, usually the biggest problems they have is money and name recognition. You know, um, Nina Turner has both. So I could see them going after her because they don't like her. But at the same time, I think she's hard to beat, you know, and she was in the state Senate, you know, so it's not like she didn't hold office at all. So it'll be, um, I'm, I'm curious to see how that race goes. I think that race would be a decent signal to the, the strength, I guess, I guess you would call of the of the progressive movement, because with a lot of the candidates, if no one knows who they are, they're running against an incumbent with a lot of name recognition. Most of the time, they're not going to win. I mean, the AOC strategy doesn't work that often. It worked with AOC. It worked with Ayanna Presley. It worked with Corey, it worked with Cory Bush. Or what Jamal Bowman actually totally forgot about Bowman. You know, it works sometimes, but not that often. You know, so we'll have to. Uh, We'll have to. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with that. See how it goes. Um, you guys have anything else? I know we kind of we kind of touched a lot. No, I, I, I think we're 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 good right now, barring any other major um, insurrections. Any other crisis? I mean, and don't forget the impeachment does start Monday, so there's plenty of time for some more stuff to go. And, I mean, Chris QAnon is here to stay. I'm sorry to tell you, our kids are going to be like, "Dad, what's QAnon?" It's like I don't want to. They're like, "Sorry, we can't buy anything from Wayfair because of them." Flashbacks. I just. Man, that QAnon stuff is I... weird. Did you see they had like screenshots? It was like a QAnon form. They were like melting down during the inauguration. They're like, why hasn't the military stepped in? What happened? Yep. I thought someone was going to get Joe Biden. What happened? Where's Trump? It was. Yep. I'm like, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I, and I honestly don't want to blame mental health on QAnon because I think some of that really is just them. But like, <sighs> we need, people There's- need help. Like it's there's cause for concern. That level of delusion is like scary. And these people like they got to have they got to work somewhere. Right. Like they got to be people's teachers. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, people's teachers, people's doctors, you know, cops, lawyers like. Like, I hate to have a conver- yep. I hate to have a conversation with someone and be like, man, are they do they support QAnon? You know, mm-hmm. So usually, I mean, if you friend them on Facebook or follow them on Twitter, you can probably figure it out if they do. But one hundred percent. No, I, I was having a conversation with a colleague uh, a couple days ago, and something that she asked that I really had to take a step back was, in twenty years, what is this like? What are what's the twenties going to be remembered for? What's twenty twenty going to be remembered for? Blah blah blah. Like, how do we tell the story? And it was terrifying to realize that one, I had no answer to it, but two. It's either going to be the story that everyone's like, and that's when everything fell apart, or it's going to be the story of, and that's when they got their senses back and like made a turn to the right. And that, that is terrifying because I don't know what, what's going to happen in the next umpteenth years, but even beyond that, 
I don't think we've turned the right way <laughs> yet. So I'm like, is this is this going to be remembered as, yeah, the pandemic happened, blah, 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 blah. But the overarching story of 2020 was the year that everything collapsed and no one figured out how to fix it. Um, to be continued. Yeah. In the yeah. next episode of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've had the captions up there out this entire podcast, and instead of Dragon Ball Z, it said Direct TV, and that's hilarious. I mean, my, I mean, sure, Close why enough. not? Close enough. All right, all right. Wrap this up. Yeah, if you guys don't have anything else, we can end the podcast for today. It's definitely, it's definitely different for three people as opposed to like. 17. Six. <laughs> um, thank you guys for listening. This is Chris. This is Chris Dogecoin to the moon. Oh, we didn't. I don't even talk about stonks. Not today. <laughs> well, uh, we'll leave that alone. All right, everybody, have a good day. Um, enjoy your week and um, stay black if you are. <laughs>